Presenting Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Focus on Truth is dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of the free grace of God and helping people understand the practical relevance of the Bible. Join now with Chuck as together we focus on the truth of God's Word. We're looking at a primer on the providence of God and today we're focusing on a woman in, uh, in Scripture. We've uh, looked at one before named Ruth and today we're looking at Leah. Uh, we've looked a little bit at Leah uh, several months or years ago when we did a study on the life of Jacob. But uh, our title today is Leah when we feel unloved and unwanted. And that's a bad feeling, isn't it? Because that's, uh, that's something that really all of us want to experience is we want to be loved, we want to feel like we belong, we want to feel secure, we want to feel like that we are adequate for whatever it is that we've been called to do. And the story of Leah is a story of a woman who was struggling with, uh, with some of those very issues. Our, uh, in fact, just, just by way of, uh, this is not a review of anything that we've been talking about recently, but maybe it'll kind of help us to, uh, to think a little better about uh, what we've been talking about. Remember, one of the things that the Bible says is that you and I, as human beings, are created in the image of God. And now, what does that mean? Uh, clearly, God is spirit. Uh, so there's a spiritual dimension to us, but uh, God doesn't have body parts. I mean, obviously we've got our Lord Jesus who's seated at the right hand of the Father now, but God in His, in His essence does not have body parts, so when we talk about being made in the image of God, we're not talking about it in that respect. So what is it that we're talking about? And one of the things that I've shared with you before, and I, and I keep trying to develop it a little bit, and I'm not going to try to develop it anymore today. I just want to just want to refresh your memory. Is if you think of it in terms of uh, I draw a triangle up here, and uh, at the center of this triangle is our spirit. That's uh, because we're spiritual beings by nature. Now, before we come to know Christ, this spirit is dead. The Bible says we're dead in trespasses and sins, and yet. Even people who don't know the Lord uh, still reflect the image of God. And there are at least three specific ways in which we, uh, we represent that image. One of them is that uh, God himself is a, is a rational being. And that by rational, we mean God is able to think. He's able to work things out in, uh, in his own mind. And you and I are rational too. Now some days obviously we're more rational than others, but we think, we try to figure things out. And because we are rational, uh, we're constantly trying to make sense of things. Why, why is it working this way? Why do the evil, evil people prosper? Why is it that the folks who try to do the good stuff wind up on the short end of the stick? The Bible is full of that kind of discussion and it's people trying to make sense of life. And in that respect, we, are, uh, we reflect the, uh, uh, that part of God in which he is a rational being. He is thinking. He is trying to... Uh, God doesn't have to figure out things. God just knows things. Our sense of who, uh, uh, of who we are 
stems from uh, some of this. Another way in which we reflect the image of God is that God is not only a rational being, He is also an emotional being. And because God is emotional, God feels things. We read about the love of God. We read about the wrath of God. Uh, and because uh, we are made in the image of God, not only are we rational or thinking creatures, but we are also emotional creatures. And because we're emotional, uh, because we have feelings, one of the things, one of the really deep longings that we all have is for a sense of security. That is, we want to, we want to know that we're loved unconditionally. We want to know that uh, if we say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, that all of a sudden that somebody's affection for us is not going to be influenced negatively that way. Certainly that's the way God is. God loves his own before, uh, before the world began. And in Christ, he provides us with this tremendous security. We experience the love of God. God also is a uh, volitional uh, being. That is, he is able to make decisions. God chooses to do certain things, and clearly, we choose to do things too. Now, God is unlimited, or limited only by his character, if you could call that a limitation in what he does. God certainly does not do things that are, uh, do evil things, because God, at his, uh, in the essence of his very nature, is, uh, is good and perfect in every way. But we're able to make choices too. Now, before we come to Christ, we can't make any choices as far as the Bible is clear. We can't make any choices as far as choosing God, coming after him. The Bible says there are none who seek after God. That's because our will is, uh, is held captive by sin. But the truth is, is that we do make choices. I chose to put on this uh, shirt that's kind of blue and yellow and got some white in it too. Now that was a choice that I made this morning. And in making choices, one of the things that we're constantly looking for is for a sense of significance. That is, that there's a reason that I'm here on this planet, that my life really has purpose. And God has purpose for, uh, for us all. And what we're going to see in our study of Leah is we're going we're gonna to see... Uh, we're going to see Leah trying to make sense out of things because there's some things that she doesn't understand about her relationship with her husband Jacob. We're going to see, <clears throat> we're going to, as uh, just almost in passing, we're going to see uh, some things about Rachel, who was Jacob's favorite wife, and we're going to see how she struggled with the fact that she was a barren woman and what that meant to her, uh, to her significance, how she felt like her purpose was not being fulfilled, even though she had the the, all the love that her husband could give her, that was not enough because she felt like she needed to be significant in terms of being able to bear children. Uh, but the one we're going to really focus on today is, uh, is Leah, and we're going to see that she's really got some issues in terms of this security. And that is that uh, because Rachel is loved by Jacob and Leah just simply was uh, sort of a, a fifth wheel, she really struggled with it, and there were some interesting things that she did in order to try to get her husband to love her, to get her husband to be more attached to her, to get her husband to respect her, to honor her, to appreciate her, and, uh, and it just wasn't working at all. 
Now, for us, as we look back on this and we think about all that the Lord Jesus has done, we realize that as we trust in Christ, that we find fulfillment of all of these things. That is, that in Christ, uh, that's the only way life makes sense. Because when we look at what goes on around us, and we look at the terrible things sometimes that <clears throat> come our way, None of it makes sense. Why is this happening? But if we view it in light of what the Scriptures say and in the fact that God is in control, then it begins, it begins to make sense at least in that respect. We know that we have complete security in our Lord Jesus. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Uh, he'll never turn away from us. Uh, a wife or a husband may walk out on the other Children may turn against us someday, but the Bible says that God will never do that. We're perfectly secure in Him. And once He brings us to faith, He's promised He will never cast us out. We can't lose that. And as far as significance is concerned, all of us experience those times when we feel like, well, my life, uh, what I'm accomplishing amounts to about the instep on a fire ant's tennis shoe right now. But the Lord says no says that he has a plan and a purpose for our lives. It may not be real evident to us right now, but he has something in store for us. And in fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says that uh, God has, uh, <clears throat> has certainly ordained works that he intends for us to do, and that's part of his plan and purpose. So the point is, is that in Christ... If we are in Christ, we find that life does make sense, that we have perfect security in Christ, that we have genuine purpose or significance in Christ. And yet, even as believers, this doesn't always seem like it's enough. seems like we need to get these things from somebody else. And when we begin to demand that other people provide these things for us, which in the final analysis only God can provide to the extent that our longings desire, we wind up very frustrated people. And that's what we're going to see in the life of, uh, of this woman, Leah, today. By, by way of background, I uh, just want to remind you of two or three little things about her husband, Jacob, because this will kind of maybe get our minds all working together again. Uh, remember uh, Jacob's early years that, uh, that he was a twin. What was his brother's name? Anybody remember? Esau, that's right. And Esau was actually, even though they were twins, Esau was actually the older brother. He came, came down the birth canal first, but they were not identical twins. They were simply fraternal twins. And yet, before they came down the birth canal, while they were in utero, God had spoken to their mother, Rebekah, and had said, uh, the older, that is Esau, is going to serve the younger. Jacob, that is, Jacob is the one who ultimately is going to have the preeminence. And we know that uh, Jacob and Esau both were raised in an environment of favoritism. Dad favored Esau. Mom, <clears throat> Rebecca, favored, uh, favored Jacob. Uh, it, was a, it was a time of uh, learning to be able to manipulate things, uh, uh, Rebecca and Isaac both were great manipulators, and uh, certainly Jacob learned that uh, learned that lesson well. Uh, Jacob learned how to take advantage of people. Remember, he took advantage of Esau when Esau came in real hungry from a hunting trip one time, and old Jacob had a pot of stew on the uh, on the stove cooking, 
and Esau was just famished and just wanted something. You think, well, this here's a brother who's got an opportunity to minister to his uh, to his brother in the flesh. Not so with Jacob. He said, yeah, I can tell you're hungry, but you're not going to get a spoonful of this stew until you sell me your birthright. And then later on, Jacob would use that same kind of manipulative device to fool his dad uh, into giving him the blessing. Uh, and of course, there was no need to do all of that because God had already said that Jacob was going to be the preeminent one. And of course, what happened was that hostility became so great between Jacob and Esau that Jacob finally had to do what? Do you remember? He had to run away. Had to run away, headed about 500 miles uh, northeast up to Haran where he would, uh, where he would meet his father-in-law. At the, at the time, the guy was his uncle. His name was Laban, who was uh, his, uh, Jacob's mother's brother. Okay, well, that's what an uncle is, so we understand that. Uh, and that, uh, so let's look at our study right here, uh, beginning in Genesis chapter 28. Uh, Mom, Rebecca, is upset because Esau is already breathing threats against Jacob, and she wants to get Jacob out of that situation so that nothing will happen to him. And rather than just being uh, real forthright with her husband Isaac and saying, you know, there's this blood in Esau's eyes right now, so we probably need to get old Jacob out of here. She takes a second tack and, uh, and uses it. Notice verse 1 of Genesis 28. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him and commanded him, don't marry a Canaanite woman. That was the premise uh, that uh, Isaac's wife Rebekah used in order to get Jacob to leave the country. Go at once to Padan Aram, that was the district in which Haran was the chief city, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban. Remember, Laban is, uh, is Rebekah's brother, your mother's brother. And remember, at this time, Jacob is in his late 70s. He's probably somewhere around 77, 78 years old. And um, he's uh, and he's he's still doing what mom says do, and that's not always I guess a uh, necessarily a bad thing. So Jacob arrives in Padan Aram in the in uh, in Haran, and he meets uh, at the well outside of town. He meets a young shepherdess named Rachel, and he just falls in love immediately with Rachel. And Rachel sees to it that uh, that Jacob is taken taken home to meet daddy, to meet Laban, and that's where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 29, verse 16. It says, now Laban had two daughters. Now, we're, we're, this is a marvelous story, and we could spend a lot of time talking about all these people, but we really want to focus most of our attention on Leah. Now, Laban had two daughters. <clears throat> Excuse me. The name of the older was Leah. Her, Leah's name means weary or weak-eyed. Can you imagine naming your daughter weary or weak-eyed? But that, I guess that's the way she was. And the name of the younger was Rachel, and the name Rachel means you lamb. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. So right away, there's a contrast to set before us in terms of their physical appearance. And who's the looker in this family? 
Rachel is the looker, and you've, but Rachel is the younger of the two daughters. And uh, Leah is the, is the firstborn, but uh, it never says anything, you know, nice about Leah's appearance. <laughs> There's an old saying that uh, beauty is only skin deep, but ugly is to the bone. Beauty fades with age, but ugly holds its own. Now, I don't know whether that's uh, necessarily true or not, but uh, it makes the story kind of interesting. It says, uh, verse 18, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. So he's, uh, he's making his proposition to Daddy Laban, and what's he saying he'll do? Yeah, he'll, he'll work. He's willing to invest seven years of his life in order to marry this great-looking woman whose name is Rachel. Laban said, It's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. Uh, <clears throat> in fact, by this point, it's already apparent that Jacob is a, is a pretty good worker. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. And here's the, here's the first positive thing that we ever read about Jacob. But they seem like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Can you imagine working for seven years to be able to marry this girl? And you're working every day. You see her every once in a while. And said, it's just these seven years have been like nothing on the basis of the tremendous love that he had for her. That, that's a really sweet thing to say. Uh, it looks like uh, Jacob had to remind Laban about this contract because it says, Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to lie with her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. Now, now this is a little more complicated than it sounds like. It sounds like you know, everybody knew what was going on. Did Jacob have any clue what was going on right here? No. And remember, at these wedding feasts, there was a lot of drinking and a lot of partying, so we're not exactly sure how, how merry Jacob was at this point. But then as the sun goes down, it's time to consummate the marriage, and the bride is, is brought to the groom, and they go into the marriage tent and consummate the marriage. So it says... Uh, not only did uh, Laban play the old switcheroo here, and now you have to think about it. Clearly, Leah knew what was going on because she was one. Of, she was a party to this, but Rachel also had to know what was going on. The only person outside the loop, it sounds like, is whom? Is Jacob? Yeah, he doesn't have a clue what's going on, and uh, but then he's going to get his Ph.D. in what it means to be deceived before he leaves his uncle's house. Not only did he get uh, Leah, but it says in verse 24, and Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah, whose name means trickling, like water trickles, um, to his daughter as her maidservant. Verse 25. Now, all right, so here's Leah. Now, who is it that Jacob really loves? Jacob is crazy about this woman, Rachel. And he's proved it by working seven years, and they seem like just a drop in the bucket for the love that he had for her. Do you think Leah knew the tremendous love that he had for Rachel? Sure, it would have been obvious. And then all of a sudden, there's the old switcheroo here when everybody's maybe been tarrying at the wine for a while at the wedding feast. And uh, 
what happens the next day? Now try to put yourself in Leah's sandals or whatever she was wearing. It says, verse 25, when morning came, there was Leah. He thought he'd gone to bed with Rachel and he woke up and he looked over there on the pillow next to him and uh, here's old weak-eyed, weary one named Leah. Uh, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you've done to me? Now, if you're Leah, how does that make you feel, just that first question? Oh, yeah, I mean, hey, you know, this wasn't my idea. This is Dad's idea to, to switch things around. What have you done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Now, of course, there's some irony right here. Because uh, and the irony is, is that Jacob took advantage back in uh, in Hebron or Beersheba, where he grew up, because uh, he's the one who wanted to get the advantage over his older brother. And so the chickens are coming home to roost here. God's going to teach him some things. Laban replied, "It's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week." Now, that, the bridal week was like the honeymoon. In other words, go ahead and honeymoon with Leah. Then we'll give you the younger one. Now, who's the younger one? That's Rachel. We'll give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. All right, now, he's worked seven years. He gets married. He thinks he's marrying Rachel. He wakes up, and the head next to him on the pillow is Leah. He is incensed by that. He complains. And then all of a sudden, Dad says, well, tell you what, uh, just go on and honeymoon with her, finish up her bridal week, finish up the honeymoon, and as soon as you finish up the honeymoon, I'll go ahead and I'll give you Rachel, but you've got to work another seven years for me. Now, if you're Leah, is this situation getting better or worse? Oh, it's getting much worse. I mean, I, what you, you know, one of the things that uh, that young girls, and we don't know how old Leah and Rachel were, but one of the things that young girls look forward to is their wedding time. And all of a sudden, she realizes that her husband's already disappointed because it's her instead of her sister. And now she knows what is Jacob thinking about the entire seven days of the honeymoon. That he's going to get to marry Rachel when the honeymoon's over. Oh, gee whiz, what a great experience this has been. So you can, you can imagine a lot of the, the feelings and the sense of security, uh, the, the sense, actually the sense of insecurity that Leah must be experiencing at this time. Verse 28, and Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah. He, they honeymooned, uh, whatever it was. And then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant girl Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maidservant. The name Bilhah means troubled. Uh, Jacob's trouble's only beginning. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. You think, do you think Leah knew that he loved uh, Rachel more than he did her? Sure he did. And he worked for Laban another seven years. All right, so here's the situation. Uh, at this point, at the end of uh, seven years and one week, Laban has two wives, Leah and Rachel, 
and he has uh, essentially what's going to turn out to be two concubines, uh, Zilpa and Bilha, trickling and, uh, and troubled. So uh, it's, it's just about to get interesting right here. All right, let's see what, uh, what happens. Verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved. Now, what does that tell us right there? Not only was Leah aware of the fact that she did not have her husband's affections, but it was apparent also to who else that he, she didn't have his affections. Yeah, God realized that. The Lord realized that this woman was unloved. It says, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Now notice, notice the interesting thing, and this is one of the reasons in this little diagram, see, I, I guess I could, have put, uh, I could have put Rachel's name over here by the, by the word significance. Notice, Leah is having trouble with insecurity. She is, she's having trouble with her emotions because she, she recognizes that she is simply not loved, and that's something that she wants. She wants it desperately, just like you and I want to be loved. There's nothing wrong with that. That's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be loved. What we're going to see is the problem arose with the things that Leah tried to do in order to get this security or this love from her husband. With Rachel, the emphasis was a little bit different. Was Rachel worried about the love of her husband? Absolutely not. I mean, she knew Jacob just essentially worshipped the ground she walked on. But what was her problem? Her problem was she couldn't have children. Well, in that culture, how, how did you feel about yourself if you're a woman and you're barren. You, felt, you, you can't fulfill your purpose. Your whole purpose in being here is to provide sons for your husband so that they can, your husband so that they can work in the fields, they can carry on the family name. So they both got problems, but they've got just a little bit of a, a, a different edge on the problems. And again, we're going to focus mostly on, uh, on Leah. Now, it's important <clears throat> as we read through the rest of this that you pay real close, close attention to the things that Leah says because the things that we say reveal what's in our heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, the Bible says. So the things that Leah says in this text here give us some real insight into what's going on inside her, in, in her heart. Verse 32. Even though Leah's not loved, uh, she was fruitful. It says, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. Now, the word Reuben means look, a son. Now, when you name somebody, look, a son, what do you think she's trying to do? That's right. She is a, she, that's right. She's trying to say, look, Jacob, look what I did. I produced for you a son. And notice what else she says. <clears throat> For she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery, surely my husband will love me now. What does this tell us? This tells us that she was going to earn the love of her husband. How? By having sons. She was determined that the way she was going to develop, to, to secure this 
sense of security, this sense of love, this sense of belonging that she so desperately desired was by having sons because that was the thing that she could do that Rachel couldn't do. Now, does it work? Apparently not. Verse 33, she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, so that tells us right there, did, did her efforts in having this first child provide the love that she wanted? No, it didn't. So now on the second one, it says, because the Lord heard that I'm not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon, and the name Simeon means hearing. That's the same name that Simon Peter had in the, in the New Testament, Simeon. Remember in John chapter 21, even though Jesus had changed uh, Simon's name to Peter, which means uh, essentially stone, when he confronted him there at the Lake of Galilee after, having, uh, after Peter's having <clears throat> uh, denied the Lord three times, even though Jesus was the one who had changed his name, he didn't say Peter. He said, Simon, do you love me more than these? He was saying, are you listening? You need to listen. Named him hearing. The Lord heard her. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth <clears throat> to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Notice the, the inference now has moved from maybe he's not going to love me after all, but, it, but at least what's going to happen? He'll, he'll feel an attachment to me. There'll be some sort of affinity between the two of us. And so what does she do? She names the child Levi, which means attached. Verse 35, she conceived again. Let me tell you, this, this was a fruitful woman. She... You know, Rachel is beautiful but barren, and, uh, and Leah is plain, but she is obviously a prolific uh, lady. <clears throat> she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, notice what she says this time, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, and the name Judah means praise. How has, how has the emphasis changed now? You know, I'm doing this so you'll love me. I'm doing it again so you'll love me. Well, I'm going to do it again, and at least you'll be sort of attached to me. But was any of that working? No. And so the fourth time she says, maybe I'm doing it the wrong way. I'm just going to praise the Lord for giving me this, uh, this next child. It says, then she stopped having children. So, First four children, in fact, these numbers on the board reckon, uh, are the birth order in which these children were born. So the first four uh, came from Leah, chapter 30. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, now remember, her problem is on the other side over here. She's struggling with her whole sense of purpose. <clears throat> she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Well, now, what can Jacob do about her barrenness? Not a thing. And notice what a sensitive guy Jacob is. Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God who's kept you from having children? Doesn't that sound like a real sensitive kind of husband? 
you know, here's this woman who's really that he that is the apple of his eye, whom he loves more than breath itself. And uh, she begins to make some demands on him, and all of a sudden he just comes unglued and gives her some sort of theological answer, and uh, that is the wrong thing to do. Then she said, well, here's Bilhah, my maidservant. Sleep with her so that I can bear children for me. I'm sorry, so that she can bear children for me, and that through her I too can build a family. Now remember, Jacob's grandmother had done this very thing. You remember what Jacob's grandmother's name is? Sarah. And she had done, she had accomplished this same thing using Hagar uh, with Abraham and the result was Ishmael. How great an idea was that? Not a great idea at all. But the result of, uh, of this was that uh, Dan and Naphtali were, uh, were born in that order. The name Dan means avenged. I'm avenged of my sister. God has, has judged that uh, it's, it's okay for me to, uh, to, to have a child. And then uh, the name Naphtali means my struggle. So you can see the, the jealousy that's going on between these, uh, between these two girls. All right, what happens? <clears throat> when Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her maidservant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Now, you know, here's Jacob all of a sudden. <clears throat> he's the most popular guy in the camp because he's had children by Leah. Now he's had children by Rachel's maid, Bilhah. Now he's going to have a couple of more by Leah's maid, Zilpah. And notice, uh, again, we want to pay close attention to what uh, Leah says. Verse 10. Leah's <clears throat> servant, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. <clears throat> then Leah said, What good fortune! So she named him Gad, and the name Gad means good fortune. Doesn't sound like she's even thinking about the Lord right now, does it? Just, oh, this is, this is great. This is good fortune. See, it's working. In fact, the competition between these two sisters was, uh, was a really important thing for both of them right now. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, how happy I am. Now, she's going to name him Asher, which means happy. But notice the second statement that she makes. Leah said, how happy I am. The women will call me happy. Now, is she loved by her husband yet? No. Does she even feel an attachment to her husband? No, not yet. So what is she concerned about? We see her sort of leaning over here a little bit on this, uh, in this area where Rachel is, where she said, well, at least the women will call me happy. They'll think everything's going great because now I've got these four children and these two children, and so I'm still way ahead of where Rachel is at this point. Now, the whole story's not over yet. Verse 14, during wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the field. Now, who's Reuben? Firstborn, very good, it's on the board. Reuben went out to the fields and found some mandrake plants. Now, uh, this is uh, sometimes translated as love apples. And there are two qualities that uh, these mandrake plants were supposed to have. I, I don't know scientifically if they do. But one, they were supposed to be an aphrodisiac. Well, certainly uh, Rachel didn't need that for, for Jacob. But the other thing is that they were fertility, for fertility. So 
Now, Rachel would be interested in that. Why? Because she still doesn't have any children of her own. <clears throat> so, Leah's firstborn, Reuben, had found these mandrake plants which were supposed to have qualities that would be of great benefit to Rachel. And he brought them to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Why? She wants children, that's right. She believes that this is going to help. But she said to her, now notice what she says. Now this is important again. Notice what Leah says. But she said, she, Leah, said to her, Rachel, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Boy, what is she remembering? She's remembering the night in the tent, that marriage night. You know, you took away my husband. You know, I had a week of honeymoon and the whole time all he could do was just think about you and talk about you, how great it's going to be to be married to you. Very well, Rachel said, he can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. Now, what is the inference when Rachel says, he can sleep with you? Who's, you know, there's an old saying, it's not who rules the roost, it's who rules the rooster. And, uh, it, it does sound a little bit like uh, Rachel has got things by the throat at this point. So when Jacob came in from the field that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me. Now again, notice the thing that she says. Does it sound like Jacob would naturally want to sleep with her? No, you've got to sleep with me. Notice that she hadn't finished. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. It's not that you're my husband and this is a duty and I wish it were a desire, but I've hired you to do this kind of thing. So he slept with her that night and God listened to Leah and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my maidservant to my husband. Whoa, Leah. See, She's got this wrong idea. She is so overwhelmed with the whole idea that she is going to be able to buy her husband's affections by having sons that now she even says, look here, you know, I figured out how to do this. God has rewarded me for this. No, 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 no. It doesn't say that God said he was rewarding her. This is what her summary. So she named him Issachar. And the name Issachar means reward. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. Now that's one of the best things that Leah ever said. She looked at this child and, she, and what is, how does she refer to this child? As a precious gift from God. That's right. This time, now, but she, if she just stopped right there, but she didn't. She said, this time my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. And the name Zebulun, of course, means honor. So here again, has, has, her, uh, has her desire changed yet after all these children? No, she is determined that she's going to win her husband's affection, win his love, at least win his honor and respect by having children and is simply, simply 
not working. In fact, if you look uh, in the left-hand column of your notes, I put two little passages there under uh, Jacob's dying tributes. Uh, this is right at the end of the book of Genesis, and it's when, it's when Jacob is talking with his children, and he even talks about what, what's going to happen. And there are two scenes here. Uh, notice what the first one says in Genesis 48:7. Now this is at the now this is we we skip from where we were when Jacob is having all these children all the way forward to the end of Jacob's life. He tells his children this as they're gathered around him. As I was returning from Paden, that's where Haran was. As I was returning from Paden, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way. In other words, they were en route to Canaan. They'd never gotten back to where uh, they had planned to go at that point. A little distance from Ephrath, so I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. Notice he says, to my sorrow, Rachel died. And this, again, it just shows us at the end of Jacob's life, his heart is just pouring out to this woman who was the more beautiful of the two. But notice what he says in Genesis chapter 49 in the second scene, verses 29 through 31, where he tells his children, I'm about to be gathered to my people. That is, he knows he's ready to die. Bury me with my fathers in Canaan. There Abraham and his wife were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. Notice, Leah outlived Rachel. And Leah lived long enough to make it all the way back to the land of Canaan, to the land of promise. We don't know what was going on between the two of them. But we do know this, that even though it seems like uh, Leah's situation never changed, it does seem like there was a little bit of change in Leah. That is, you see little glimpses of it here and there where it looks like her emphasis changes. Well, I'll just praise the Lord. And there's a little glimmer of hope uh, occasionally. Clearly, Leah is the more spiritual of the two than Rachel. But the thing that I want you to notice most of all is the legacy that Leah left behind. And you'll see that in Genesis chapter 49. There are two, two, of, uh, two of Leah's sons that turn out to be extremely important people in the Bible. One of them was named Levi. And why is Levi important? Because he's the one, he became the father of the tribe that all the priests would come from in the Old Testament. He was an important individual. The second person who was very important was the person Judah because Judah would be the one, the head of the tribe through whom ultimately the, tri uh, the, the family of David and the Messiah ultimately would come. Notice in Genesis 49 where it says, Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather around me so I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. And then he begins to go as they're standing around the bed. Uh, listening to him, he gets to Judah in, in verse 8. It says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Again, what does Judah's name mean? Praise. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. What does that mean? He's going to overcome his enemies. 
your father's sons will bow down to you. Jake, uh, Judah is going to be the kingly tribe. This is the one through whom the kings will come and ultimately the king of kings himself will come. And he goes on to say in verse 10, the scepter will not depart from Judah. What's a scepter? That's, something that, that's, a, that's an emblem of, of, rule, of ruling. The scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations is his. The old King James says uh, that the scepter won't depart until Shiloh comes. The name Shiloh means the peace giver. And of course this is a reference to what person? To the Lord Jesus when he ultimately would come. Well, what do we conclude in our last minute or so? And that is that just as we see from Leah that God often uses the difficulties of life, especially in our relationships with each other, to help us mature. He doesn't always change our difficult situation, but in the midst of these things, uh, He will change us. And it's a good opportunity for us to learn to develop the fruit of the Spirit, such as faithfulness, and patience and self-control. One of the greatest frustrations in all of life uh, is trying to get from, from other people what in the final analysis only God himself can provide for us. And certainly Leah, uh, more often than not, is a tremendous example of that. It's important that we learn to trust in Christ, that even when life doesn't make sense, if we're trusting in Him, it's okay. That even if everybody else seems to abandon us or we feel left out or we, we feel abandoned, that we are still secure in Christ. That even when we feel like our life doesn't have purpose, <clears throat> the Bible reminds us that in Christ we do have purpose and that God has a plan for our lives and so we can go on because we can trust in him you've been listening to focus on truth the bible teaching ministry of chuck bradshaw focus on truth is a non-denominational evangelical christian ministry to the marketplace your gifts to focus on truth are tax deductible for a free copy of our monthly newsletter glimpses of truth or other information about the ministry write to focus on truth Box 5367, Columbus, Georgia, 31906.